here, the turning of pages, means that you have brought the sword to church. You know, I have the funniest feeling yesterday getting on the airplane in Dallas. You know, they have these signs up about weapons and don't make any smart remarks and all of that. I had the strangest urge because the lady took my briefcase, my attache case, and she was running it through the x-ray, and I just had the strangest urge to say, be careful, there's a sword in there. <laughs> Honestly, I had to hold it back. I may not be here if I'd have done that, but you see, this was in there, and <laughs> I'm a strange person, I know. So here we go with the sword. I'm at James right now. Chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and at the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy room, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father who is in secret, and thy Father who seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the pagans do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. And then what follows is, of course, the Lord's Prayer. The Christian is a person of many high privileges, in case you did not know that. Many high privileges. Now, the world often looks at the Christian and thinks of the life of a Christian as devoid of any privilege. Somehow, the world has gotten the idea that the Christian gives up joy when he comes to Christ. I never knew what joy was until I found Christ. How about you? Real joy, lasting joy. Somehow they have in their minds that life is barren, that life is sad, that it's kind of humdrum when you become a Christian. All of your freedom is gone and you're now a robot subject totally to the manipulations of God. Could I ask you, did you give up joy when you came to Christ? Did you give up life? Did you give up peace? Did you give up? Anything that the world is looking for, or did you add it to your life? Which one? You added it, didn't you? Absolutely. The Christian has other privileges, as well as these feelings and expressions of life. We have the privilege of the Bible, reading God's love letter. 
the bestseller of all time, God's wonderful word. We have the blessing of the church, the family of God, and in the church of hearing the gospel presented in clear tones. Fellowship, the finest people of earth, God's people. We have the blessing of giving. Others can know Christ as a result of our giving, and never minimize that when you give your gifts and you see these people baptized and coming to Christ, you have part of the reward if you gave the money that keeps this work going forward. What a blessing! Eternity will reveal it. We have the blessing of serving. The only army that will be ultimately victorious is the army of Jesus Christ, the Christian army. What a privilege to be a part of that army. But friends, the sweetest privilege is not any of these things that I have just mentioned. The sweetest and best privilege that we have is the privilege of talking to God, the privilege of prayer. To neglect it is like receiving a blank check with God's name on it and tearing it up and throwing it to the wind. That is the privilege that I want to talk to you about for several weeks. There are powers in a Christian life. There is power in what a man is. It was a dark day in Boston and a reporter wrote these words in the paper. It was a dark and gloomy day yesterday. Then Phillips Brooks walked through our office and the sun began to shine. Phillips Brooks was the author of the great Christmas carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Oh, the power of a Christian life when Phillips Brooks walked through the office, the sun began to shine. Oh, the power of a Christian life. There is power in what a man says. God can't use you if your speech is not what it ought to be. Make sure it is what it ought to be. Think of the power that great preachers have wielded with words. That's what overwhelms me as a preacher, how we can move crowds with words and bring them into a confrontation with Jesus Christ by the use of words. What a power there is in words, in what a man says. There is power also in what a man does. It says in the Gospels that Jesus went about doing good. Some of us just go about. Oh, that we would go about doing good. Let me illustrate it this way. Billy Graham, the great evangelist, wanted to be a big league baseball player. And he was good. And he played semi-pro ball for a time and had his eye on the big leagues. He may have become a great ball player if he had pursued that goal, but he would not have the power and influence he has today. As an evangelist, what a man does gives him power. 
There is power in what a man gives. If I withhold my money and my time and my talent from the world, I will have no power. I would die and no man would miss me. There is power in what a man gives. But the greatest power is not these that I have mentioned, not what a man is or says or does, but the greatest power is the power of prayer. That is man's greatest power. The man who prays is a thousand times stronger than the one who does not pray. The woman who prays is a thousand times stronger than the woman who does not pray. The youth that prays is a thousand times stronger than the youth that does not pray. The boy or girl that prays is a thousand times stronger than the one who does not pray. Kingdoms have been won. Souls have been saved. Churches have been built. Lives have been blessed and changed. The sick have been healed. Prodigals have been brought back home. Homes have been changed. Marriages rearranged. Many marvelous things have been wrought by prayer. Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint on his knees. Oh, what a privilege it is to talk to God. I want to share with you tonight what the Bible promises about prayer. I'm going to move along fairly rapidly, but there are five things that I want you to see from the Word of God about prayer. What God promises to people who will talk to Him. And let me say at the very outset here that that's exactly what prayer is, talking to God. It is not some mystical something. It is not learning a new language. It is expressing yourself to God like you do to one another. So with that in mind, here is what the Bible promises concerning prayer. First of all, the forgiveness of our sins. In 1 John 1, 9, it reads, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us. Now, what does that mean? If we confess, it means that if we will come to God in prayer with our sins, confessing our sins to Him, we will be forgiven. It does not mean confessing it to me, because I cannot forgive you your sin. I may be the catalyst to get you to that moment of confession, but remember, the confession is to God and not to man. If we confess our sins, He, not me, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. All of us sin daily. Something is always coming up between us and God. How can we get out of it? By coming to Him in prayer. That's the only way, by confessing our sins and asking for his forgiveness. David was a man after God's own heart, but he sinned greatly. How did he find peace? He found it only when he prayed. 
Turn to Psalm 51 and read it sometime in your leisure. Notice how the heart of David is touched as he recognizes his debauchery and his turning from his heavenly Father and how he falls on his face before God and confesses that sin before the Lord and is forgiven and has the joy of his salvation restored. God answered David's prayer. Psalm 32, 1 reads, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. That is the beginning of prayer to receive the forgiveness of our sins by confession. I know I am speaking to some by television who are used to going to a man, perhaps, for forgiveness, to confess sins to a man. I want you to know there is a better way. There is one who is sinless. There is one who is touched with all that you experience and all that you feel, and he's seated at the right hand of God praying for you, and all you need to do is say, Jesus, I'm sorry, forgive me of my sins, and he will be there to grant you that forgiveness because you talked to him. Confession. The second thing I read in the Bible that touches me about prayer is that God has promised by prayer to supply us with wisdom. Now, this is a marvelous thing because all of us need wisdom. You mothers need wisdom in raising children. You fathers need wisdom in discipline, in your business, in all of your affairs. All of us in the church need wisdom as to how to do the work of the Lord. A complex and confused age is here upon us people who are wandering here and there trying to evaluate life without right decisions being made. We need wisdom. And here is what James promises us in chapter 1 of his epistle, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. It does not say if any of you lack wisdom and roll in the first university course on wisdom you can find. It does not say go to the experts and you will gain wisdom. It says, James 1, 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Do you know what that word upbraideth means? Without scolding. He will give liberally and upbraideth. He will not scold you. It shall be given him without scolding. Hallelujah. Oh, we make so many terrible mistakes in life. Wrong purchases, wrong moves, wrong decisions. Why? because we have not followed this basic principle that is before us tonight. The greatest power known to man, the greatest privilege known to man is the privilege of talking with God, the privilege of prayer, and in prayer Almighty God says without hesitation and qualification, I will give you wisdom if you ask me.
That means, young ladies, you don't have to marry wrong. Young men, you don't have to marry wrong. Gentlemen, you don't have to choose the wrong job. Ladies, you don't have to choose the wrong career. You don't have to make bad decisions. If you talk to God, God Almighty has put it down in his word, and he does not lie. I will give to you wisdom if you will ask me. The greatest privilege and the greatest power known to man. I find myself often saying, God, would you mind just giving me a little bit of wisdom? If any of you lack wisdom, well, I sense at times I lack wisdom, and I am grateful to know I have a supply. All I have to do is stop and ask God for wisdom, and it's amazing what happens when we take the time to ask. God gives an idea. God gives an inspiration. God gives a thought, and suddenly all the pieces come together, and you see the answer to the dilemma, the perplexing situation, simply because you took the time to ask the God who said, I will give it liberally and will not scold you. Hallelujah. Will you do that? Thirdly, the Bible promises us divine healing through prayer. God answers prayer for the sick according to his will and his purpose. I have stood by those whom doctors have given up. Prayer has been made and the miracle worker took over. I shall never forget going into an elevator in Olympia, Washington in a hospital when the doctor was coming out. And I said, hello, doctor. And he greeted me and said, are you going to see so-and-so? I said, yes. He said, it's hopeless. She's next to death. There's no use. She wouldn't even know you were there. I said, thank you very much. The door closed, and I went on up to the room. Every possible tube there was was hooked up to her body. All the monitoring systems were running, and for all intents and purposes, she was not there. I laid my hand on her and I said a simple prayer. With your stripes, Lord Jesus, we're healed. This lady has children. She's young. And it would seem that she is needed. And I ask you, according to the word of God, to raise her up. I had no more than said that when breath began to appear. Her body began to move. I simply made my way out, went down the elevator, on home. It was a matter of days. All of that paraphernalia was removed. She was up eating, up soon walking, and soon back in the house of God, totally healed. The doctor said, it's no use. That is the privilege of man. And that is your privilege, friend. 
the power of prayer. The miracle worker is alive. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Now, with all due respect, it does not say the prayer of Oral Roberts or the prayer of Kenneth Copeland or the prayer of Pastor Cole. It says the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And who raises them up? The Lord shall raise them up. Hallelujah. And if they have committed sins, it shall be forgiven them. Does God heal the sinner? Well, according to that, he must. Because if they have committed sins, the Bible says it shall be forgiven them. I don't understand that. But that's what the Bible says he does. And I know he does it because he's sovereign. He's God. Man doesn't dictate to God. God will work according to his purpose and according to his plan. And if any of you are sick, the Bible says the prayer of faith shall save the sick. I believe it with all my heart. If you're watching me by television from a sick bed in the name of Jesus Christ, you can be whole. You can be whole right now by faith in Jesus Christ, who is the miracle worker, and I stretch my hand in your direction in his powerful and glorious name and ask him to heal you in this moment of faith. The prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. Hallelujah. Rise up and walk in Jesus' name. Glory to God. The privilege that we have in God Glory, you're right here tonight in this building. You need to just take it right now. It's alive. Receive it. And give him glory for it. Fourth, the Bible promises the provision of our needs through prayer. Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. The Bible tells us over and over to ask God for the things we need. One of the biggest questions asked me in the ministry is, how many times should I ask? I have a simple answer till you get what you need. I think that's logical, don't you? Because of her importunity, the judge had to do something about the woman in the story Jesus told. If you don't get your healing when you first ask, be persistent. If you don't get the answer to your prayer as you feel you need the answer, be persistent. I love the illustration Father gave whose son went back to college to work toward his doctor's degree. He had a wife and a baby daughter by this point in his life, and it was difficult making his way through college. So the father told him that he didn't want this son to do without things that he and his family needed. So when he went away to college to get this degree, the father told this son to use the COD method 
while he was away studying for his degree. The son, a little puzzled, said, Dad, what is the COD method? And he said, call on Dad. Now, my sons have learned that method. And I suppose all of us learned it at some time in life, huh? Have you ever translated that in terms of your heavenly father? Call on dad. The son who went to college did, and he made it through. If fathers will do that for their sons, how much more will our heavenly father do it for his children? Now, in Matthew 6, we did not read the Lord's Prayer, but if your finger is still there in the Bible, notice that in the Lord's Prayer there are five verses. And in five verses there are six requests. And we have these people who say, Oh, you shouldn't ask things of God. You should just be praising Him. Well, I believe in praise, but I also believe there is a time when we ought to ask, call on Dad. Notice the Lord's Prayer in five verses. Thy kingdom come. That's a request. Thy will be done. That's a request. Give us this day our daily bread. That's a request. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That is a request. Lead us not into temptation. That is a request. Deliver us from evil. That is a request. And who taught us to pray those requests? Jesus himself. Six things we are to be asking from our Father in the Lord's Prayer. Oh, I love the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. In this passage in Matthew, Jesus said, Be anxious for nothing. Prayer prevents worry. John Wesley said, I would no more worry than I would curse or swear. Worry is just as much a sin as cursing or swearing is a sin. Jesus said, be anxious for nothing. In Philippians, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Friends, are you a worry wart? Do you go around wringing your hands about the things of life? Remember the words of John Wesley, I would no more worry than I would curse or swear. Hear the psalmist in 34, verse 6, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. That's better than worrying. We sing the chorus often here at Capitol Christian Center, Take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, he will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. The point is, prayer brings the provision for our needs. If you believe that, say amen. Now, finally, number five, 
Prayer in the book of Matthew, according to Jesus, should be covenant in relationship. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth, this is Matthew 18, verse 19, as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. A covenant prayer relationship. Prayer is covenant. Prayer is agreement. Prayer is symphonizing together with another person. Do you bear a heavy burden on your heart? Then the thing to do is covenant with someone else and pray. And here, my friends, in this last point of my message tonight is where we err. We are often trying to carry these burdens alone, and God intends us to storm the gates of heaven with another believer in covenant relationship. I don't know why God, through Jesus Christ, promised us a special answer when two people agree together in prayer. I don't know why, but that's what he said. Dr. George Truett, the great preacher of some years ago, was preaching on this text from Matthew 18, 19, if any two of you shall agree in prayers touching anything. And when he finished preaching, a woman stood up in the meeting and said, Preacher, do you believe what you have preached today? Dr. Truett said, Yes, I have preached the word of God. Well, said the woman, I wonder if you would covenant with me to the end that my husband should be saved in this revival. He is a steamship captain on the river. He is lost. I long to see him saved in this very revival. Will you covenant with me on the promise in this text? Dr. Truett hesitated, for this was a big order, when suddenly a man on the other side of the church, jumped to his feet and said, Lady, I believe that promise. I will covenant and pray with you for your husband's salvation. He walked toward the front of the church, and she met him there. As they stood before the pulpit, they prayed their first covenant prayer, basing it on the promise of Matthew 18, 19. That night, the woman came to church, for this was the morning meeting that we were referring to. In the evening, she came back to church, bringing her unsaved husband with her. The preacher said that he poured out his heart that night for the soul of that one man. But the man did not respond to the gospel invitation. But as the people left the church, the woman and the man who stood in the morning covenanting with her, smiled at each other as if to say, we know God will keep his promise. The next morning, now it's Monday, the next morning as the great preacher prayed in the pastor's study of that church, there came a knock upon the door. Dr. Truett opened the door, arising from his knees, and there stood the steamship captain. 
He said, Preacher, I cannot wait until the service today. Tell me how to be saved. The man was soon rejoicing in Christ and came forward in church that very day to confess Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. I believe more of that should be happening if we stand upon the promise Jesus made in Matthew 18, 19, if two of you shall agree as touching anything they shall ask, it shall be done. That is our Lord's promise. Now, God answers every true prayer. He may answer no, and that's a wise answer sometimes. If your baby cried for a red-hot coal of fire, you would say no. If God says no, it is because he knows what is best for you. Accept it. Or he may say, wait a while, you are not yet ready for this. But he does answer every true prayer. Now, where is the breakdown in prayer? Perhaps it's best illustrated this way, as you think of a friend that you may have in the city. You see this friend every day. You eat with him once a week, perhaps. You have good fellowship with this friend. Then he is transferred to another place. He moves a thousand miles away. You both promise to write. You keep this up for a while. Then the letters grow farther and farther apart. Soon you correspond only at Christmas. You find other friends and other interests, and soon you have almost forgotten your old friend. It's the same way in the spiritual realm, folks. You walk and talk with God, and he seems very near. Then someone moves. It isn't God. It's you. It's me. There is only one cure for such a situation. We must stay close to God in prayer. We must commune with him regularly. We must pick up the phone regularly and talk to God. Heaven's line is always open. He is always on the line. Heaven's telephone is never dead. It is never silent. He is always accessible through prayer. That is the promise of his word. Now let me give you these closing promises from God's word. Psalm 33, verse 18. The eyes of the Lord are on them that fear him. Do you fear him, reverence him, honor him? If so, the eyes of the Lord are upon you. The other is Isaiah 59, verse 1. I love this. His ear is never heavy that it cannot hear. Glory to God. You have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss. Not in his will, not according to his word. And here to me is the capstone of all that the Bible teaches us about prayer. 
It is in the eighth verse of Matthew 6, which we read at the beginning of our message. The Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Man's greatest power, it is not the atomic bomb, it is not the rockets that shoot men to the moon, made out here at Aerojet. It is prayer. It will bring heaven down to a person's life. It will forgive sin. It will bring answers. It will heal the sick. It will make provision for every need. And when two covenant together in this thing called prayer, the gates of hell move and the captives are set free and things happen when people catch hold of the power that there is prayer. Are you taking advantage of it like you should? Why don't we do it tonight and just see what God will do? Let's bow our heads together. While our heads are bowed, are there those among us tonight who need the forgiveness of sins? We're going to pray in a moment. And my first point about prayer was that if we confess our sins to God, he will forgive us. If you would like that forgiveness through confession, I would like you to raise your hand and by that hand say, yes, pastor, that's me, and I, I want to pray for that experience tonight. Would you raise your hand right now? Thank you back here. Thank you so much. Right in here, several hands. Thank you. Over here, thank you. God bless you. To my left, thank you. Back here under the balcony and toward the front of the balcony on the lower level. Upstairs to my right, thank you. Up there. Back over this way, way up in the back of the balcony. God bless you. Over here to my right, God bless you. Hallelujah. Everybody repeat this prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess my sins. I am a sinner. I come to you with my sins. I ask for your forgiveness through the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary. I thank you for blotting them out and making me a child of God. On the authority of your word, I pray for the forgiveness of my sins. In Jesus' name. Did he hear that? Absolutely. Welcome to the kingdom.